This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It is important for people to know their boundaries in order to behave appropriately with each other. There is a clear line between one person and another, which defines their personal boundaries. Having clear boundaries affects personal relationships, family relationships, and workplace relationships. Boundaries ensure a successful relationship for everyone, even when setting them can be challenging. Setting boundaries is essential for maintaining positive relationships and staying mentally healthy. It's not your responsibility to do this work alone. In order to set boundaries, it may be helpful to seek the support and guidance of a mental health professional. Valeria interviews Hannah Hayden. She is the founder of and a clinician for Sapphire Counseling, licensed clinical social worker, LCSW. Hannah has been a licensed clinical social worker since 2019. She attended UNC Greensboro, initially majoring in interior architecture, but questioned this decision when she became more excited about her Psychology of Colors class than she did for any of her major-specific classes. She graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and Communication Studies, then graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University with her Master of Social Work two years later. While working towards her clinical licensure, Hannah worked in a variety of clinical settings, including psychiatric hospitalization for children and adolescents, methadone and suboxone clinics, a local city jail, and outpatient counseling. Once licensed, Hannah eventually discovered that outpatient counseling was her true calling. She found that being able to support individuals one-on-one provided a space for non-judgmental growth, which is not something easily found. Today, she has her own outpatient counseling practice, Sapphire Counseling, located in Virginia. She finds that empowering her clients to better manage distressing situations while improving their overall quality of life is incredibly rewarding. When Hannah isn't working with and supporting her clients, she spends much of her time with her family and two cats and reads as many true crime novels that she can get her hands on. Meet Hannah at sapphiretidewater.com. Here's the interview with Hannah Hayden. In your own words, who is Hannah Hayden? Hannah Hayden is, I think, somebody who, from a very young age, knew that she wanted to help. Of course, like a lot of little kids, that help was very much poured into animals. So I grew up for many, many years thinking I wanted to be a veterinarian. But as I started getting older, you know, especially as a young adult, kind of in that those late teens, early 20s, was really starting to pick up on my passion for wanting to help people. I went into college actually wanting to study interior architecture And while I enjoyed that, the class that piqued my interest significantly was going to be the psychology of colors. And I was so interested in how colors could impact someone's mood so much that they would make an entire class for a college about that. And it was at that time that I decided to change my whole game and my whole path for college and, you know, my career later on. And So now I would describe myself still as that person who loves, I really do. I love helping people, but I, I like to empower people. Um, I want to be a light that, or be the person holding a light for them while walking with them so that they can figure out 
the best ways to thrive and the best ways for them to succeed and love life. I don't ever want to do those things for them because at the end of the day, you know, it, it feels fantastic helping others, but you don't ever want them to become reliant on you. Mm, And so, you know, earlier we were talking about how, um, you know, not viewing humans as fragmented. And I really resonated with that because a lot of times, you know, I'll have clients come into my office and say, wow, I'm just, I feel so, so broken. I need to be fixed. And I said, well, (laughs) this isn't the place for you then because Mm -hmm. A, you're not broken and I'm not here to fix you. We're going to work together so I can help you and empower you to be the best person you can be. And I think that is how I would describe myself as someone who not just wants to help, but wants to empower others to just be the best version of themselves that they want to be. I love that. It sounds wonderful to me that you're coming from this place of empowerment and not just helping, because that is very much true. There's something about the industry, I wouldn't say just therapeutic industry with psychologists, all kinds of therapists, and also life coaches or coaches. Mm-hmm. The idea of seeing that as you see in a fragmented way, again, when the point of view is to kind of create this relationship that is endless. Right. Uh, in the sense of thinking business only. That, would be, that to me would be a fragmented way of view Agreed. of the world, right? Like, okay, I'll make my money with this. And then the, the more they, they rely on me, the better. That, that doesn't make sense to me. So I love what you said. Yes. <laughs> doesn't make sense to me either. I am not in this for mm. any kind of money. I, I'm in it to see people just grow. It is an amazing thing to watch. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I can imagine. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to thank you again for that alone. <laughs> I mean, I'm very grateful for your presence in our reality, but also for what you said that I didn't expect. We didn't talk about this off record. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Beautiful surprise. So I have another question for you. One of these uh, warm-up questions. How do you define mental health? What is to be mentally healthy from your point of view? Um, To be mentally healthy, you know, of course, I think it's really just all about recognizing both Our strengths, which as we've discussed, can be very hard to identify, but also our limitations, because when we're able to identify what our limitations are, you know, hopefully we're we're able to call on those strengths to improve or identify what can make those limitations less limiting so that ultimately, you know, we're, we're decreasing the overall barrier we feel mentally because I think that weight that we can feel mentally, whether it's because we're worrying about a loved one or we're reflecting on something we said that just, you know, maybe we're thinking like, oh, could we have said that better? Or maybe not at all in some cases. <laughs> right. <laughs> is, is just being able to, to have the ability to be mindful, build that awareness, build that insight And then put it all into action while still balancing the ability to have self-care. And then, of course, boundaries, which I know we'll be getting into because that is just my favorite thing on the planet, as hard as it is to to do. But all of those things, all of those little pieces coming together, I think, is how I would define mental health. Mm. Yes, that's a very refreshing, unique way of seeing that. I, I don't think I heard it this way before. Right. Strength, limitations, knowing them. The interesting thing about limitations, for me at least, I don't give up on them. Of course, I'm still open. I'm open to everything. But there's something about focusing on what touches my heart, what opens my heart, what drives me. When I wake up in the morning, I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. So like I don't drive. I have driven before, but I just have no interest and I don't like driving. Yeah. So I just gave up on that in a way. For now, I'm not open to having a car and driving. So I get a lot of my family members just to be kind of, they focus on that because they see that's something that I don't do. Oh, and okay. then they keep talking to me about it. You know, why don't you get your license again? Why don't, don't you renew it? Or it might be a good topic to bring in the concept of boundaries. Because I try to be kind and truthful at the same time. That's how I, I usually 
Yeah. Go with when it comes to boundaries. But at some point, I have to tell them that can we not talk about this anymore? <laughs> about right, the driving right. thing. So I would love to hear from you a bit about this situation, for example. I still get that, though, from my family from time to time. The same people saying they said maybe a hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> so what's that about? What are they trying to do? Is a sense of control? Is that trying to focus on something that they don't know, that they know I don't do for a reason? I, yeah, I'm trying to understand them. Right. So, A, I mean, first off, it sounds like you are establishing fantastic boundaries. You know, the way you described how you will respond to them being kind and truthful, you know, is always how we want to start. And then by expressing to them, you no longer want to discuss the subject. I mean, that that is the boundary being drawn plain and clear. When I talk about setting boundaries, whatever boundary it may be with my clients, we often have to process that on both the receiving and setting end of a boundary, it's uncomfortable. Um, Because like you said, you know, we as human beings, we want to be in control and not because we're controlling or, you know, people who maybe self-identify as control freaks. It has nothing to do with that. But when we don't feel like we have control or even understand the why behind something, everything feels out of control. You know, even, even if we can, you know, 10 days down the road, logically recognize like, Oh, it was just this one thing. You know, our brains are great at making things way worse than they ever needed to be. Yes. So So true. And so I find that, yeah, when we, we have those individuals who just keep pushing that boundary, it's, a, they're probably just not used to to boundaries being set with them. And so, you know, it's uncomfortable that it's happening in the first place. But then, you know, it's it's new to them. So they're like, wait, what's what's mm-hmm. happening? And, you know, mm-hmm. then the process continues, whatever it may look like. And I think when we are up against individuals like that, and we all have them in our life. And mo- many times we love those individuals mm-hmm. very, very much, which makes it harder. Yes. Is yeah. To just keep reestablishing that boundary. And, you know, uh, after a certain point, depending on how um, how much it means to us to have that boundary, you know, I, I'm not a fan of ultimatums, but that's kind of when, you know, we get to that point of like, hey, listen, you know, I've, I've expressed to you as many, you know, as often as I could in, in as many ways as I've thought to let you know, like, I don't want to talk about this. and. I want that to be okay. And if it's not, you know, I don't, you know, I I may not be able to come over for family events anymore because I don't want to be in the position to talk about something I've expressed not wanting to talk about. And of course, we never want it to get there. But sometimes, you know, with the other individuals in our life who may just have some of that more um, headstrong personality. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) is is setting that like very it's either this or that can kind of be the illuminating moment that they need to realize just how much something that seems very small to them is impacting the other person. Mm, yes, ah, that's such a great point. In my case, it's my mother. Yeah, she has been very good at uh-huh. unsolicited uh, <laughs> suggestions and <laughs> telling everybody what to do. <laughs> I mean, literally everything. She kind of plans everything too. It's kind of interesting how she does it too. Since I was very young, I remember that. She kind of sets a plan for you. She had one for me, actually. That's why I left. I had to leave the house because she was planning everything. You marry this man. You're going to have this amount of children. You live right there down the road. So oh, I was just like, planning no. my life. <laughs> no, 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 that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I had to leave. Uh, well, I left now. Not only for those, that was really like the uh, the peak of that kind of a behavior, but mm. it was really abused though. She was very yeah. abusive emotionally and physically. So I, I knew I had to leave the house. So, but going back to, yeah, how to talk to them. I noticed with my husband too, that sometimes he behaves, he acts in a very interesting way. Kind of, he almost, not anymore though, he used to scream actually when he wanted mm. to like leave me alone when I was talking about something that he didn't want to hear. And then I was kind of uh, trying to understand him too. 
which now it seems like I have a better idea. He grew up also with the parents, the mother too, that was really very controlling as mm. well. And that was the only way he could protect himself and really set the boundaries was getting angry. So that was his way of protecting himself. Yeah. So interesting to see that too, right, Hannah? Like how we behave, that affects us for the rest of our lives. He's 64 years old. He doesn't do it anymore, but he used to even like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So any comments on that? I know I said a lot there about my mother and my husband and his, my mother's husband. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my husband's mother, I mean. Um, it was interesting, you know, as you were talking about even like how your mom very much had that plan. So to me, the, the, the thing that quickly was apparent was obviously your mom feels this need to have control. And again, that is a very innate human thing. It, it is the place where we feel the most comfort. And so challenging that or, you know, you know, you leaving the home very much making that boundary super clear. It was, it, I, I think it was great. But again, you know, when you were saying that she has this plan, I was like, yep. And there's, that's probably why, you know, if, if you ever tried to verbalize, Hey, like, I don't want to have eight kids and I don't want to live yes. down the street from you because I actually really <laughs> need you to like drive a few hours so I can prepare for you to get here. No, um, <laughs> what, when you, when you push back on someone who, who does have a desire to have a lot of control and doesn't have the insight and or awareness to recognize where they can let some of that control go is, is, you know, sometimes when we can see the unfortunate cycle of like mental and emotional abuse start to occur. But then, yeah, even with your husband, it sounds like, you know, as he was growing up, some sort of boundary was probably not respected for him. You know, he may have tried to set an emotional boundary with, you know, a parent, a sibling, anybody of, Hey, I don't, I don't want to talk about this or, you know, so-and-so broke my heart. I don't really feel like talking about that with you guys. And he may, you know, it sounds like he probably, like you said, was pushed into a position that the only time he was heard, mm -hmm. um, even if it wasn't respected was when he would yell, because at that point people would say, you know what? Okay, fine. It's not even worth it. And so you're so right. We, we learn lots of things growing up, you know, cause we're always, our brains are always trying to make sure that we're safe and surviving. And so it can look, it can, it just looks different for everybody. And, you know, like you said, for your husband, it, initially it was, he needed to use a loud voice to get his point across without realizing like, no, we don't have to do that. Mm, yes. As, as an adult, right. As a mature adult. Right. Yeah. That's it. I know this is not a therapy session, but <laughs> I have a question for you about, I usually don't really like the idea of even from the clinical point of view, diagnosis, there's something about that, that it feels like it impacts the body in a very powerful way. When yeah. somebody hears like, oh, you are bipolar, you are this, right. you're a narcissist. So I don't use those terms, but I do interview a lot of people who have suffered from narcissistic abuse, they call that. And, and then, the, you know, by listening to them, their stories, and some of them are therapists themselves, I see how much it relates, you know, those, those traits, what I went through and what my husband went through with right. his mother and my mother. I'm like, oh my God, we had narcissistic uh, parents. parents mm -hmm. And so now I'm trying to, to drop the labels and think about, well, that's what I try to do and try to understand them. Like, oh, maybe they had a childhood that was very challenging. Maybe that was yeah. passed on to them. Right. So yeah, how do you feel about diagnosis? Do you actually do them? Yeah. So in my practice, we don't, the topic of diagnosis doesn't typically come up. You know, I've had a few clients who are speculating that they've been misdiagnosed or don't have the correct diagnosis. And so then want my, you know, my thoughts and feedback on it. But I completely agree with you is that, you know, especially when I have my clients who have been misdiagnosed, they tend to be misdiagnosed with really heavy diagnoses. You know, like you said, bipolar disorder or personality disorders. I've even had individuals misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and, and it's, it does, it has a huge impact on 
on their relationship with the world for the foreseeable future. And it can oftentimes, it's it's a negative impact. You know, those diagnoses come across and people suddenly become afraid to be who they are. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking to see. So um, for the purposes of knowing what direction I want to to go, you know, I, I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. So to know what kind of like pieces of that I want to use with the client, I do keep like a, I don't even know how to phrase it. There is a diagnosis there and honestly insurance is required. So that's an start. I was about to say, talk about, yeah, insurance, right. right. Um, but I'm more so I will, I like to know what behaviors it is that I'm seeing. And I want to provide intervention and treatment for those behaviors, whether or not they're related to a diagnosis. I love that approach. Yeah. But I see that's very thoughtful to look at humans at, as a whole. There's something mm-hmm. about that that changes everything. Right. Because it goes back. It's almost like being, you know, fragmentation has a lot to do with all those disorders that you just mentioned. Yes. That's the point of view. That's how. So it's almost like this. Whoever created, you know, these ideas of the system, the whole system of insurance, and you have to have a diagnosis in order for this to know what medication or what to cover. Mm-hmm. It sounds fragmented to me. Okay, you're seeing a human being just as a piece, as a parts only, and it's almost like trying to fit in. I think you probably have heard this quote before: trying to fit, to adjust to a society that's unwell. It mm-hmm. just doesn't. I mean, think about it. It just doesn't. It wouldn't work. No, trying to be, to be, well, I mean, we're trying actually to be unhealthy in that sense, to try right. to adapt to a society that is unhealthy. Right. And, and recently too, it's been interesting as a counselor to see that, that um, in recent years, it's been, you know, quote unquote, cool to have some sort of diagnosis that's related to, to mental illness. And That has totally blown me away because, you know, again, while I don't necessarily um, as a counselor, um, I think a lot of myself, but a lot of counselors, I think we come from like a person centered approach where someone is not anxious. Someone has anxiety because if you have something, you can change that. But oftentimes, if we feel like we are something, it feels a Mm. lot harder to make those changes And so it's really interesting to me that people have wanted to be things like depressed or anxious or have multiple personalities. And, and it's now, you know, diagnoses are now completely losing their, you know, meaning, even if the meaning isn't helpful, which is also hard. And, and to the fragmented point that you made a big thing that I struggle with when it comes to diagnostic stuff is it it only looks at the person then that's important. We want to look at the person, but there are so many other factors impacting that person, the relationships they have, their environment. And unfortunately, the the diagnostic manual that we use, it doesn't necessarily take those things into account. And that can be really, really difficult when you are working with someone and you just think to yourself, I know if you got out of that environment, mm-hmm. none of these behaviors would be here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. What a beautiful point. Yeah. Very insightful. Thank you so much for saying that from your perspective as a therapist. Yes. Yes. A billion times to that truth. Right. Of course, I do see the importance of the implementation of medications in, in case of emergencies. Right. Because, you know, we see somebody that's out of control, really. And it's, it could actually harm uh, himself, herself. Right. So in, in those cases, I understand. But it's not a diagnosis either. It's just it's an intervention, right? Exactly. Yes. So let's go back to, thank you for entertaining that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I have <laughs> diagnosed and all that. I didn't even know that we would talk about this. But I think because I talked recently with somebody who, she's from Idaho, I believe. Yes. Uh, she used to be a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and then she kind of dropped that and she became just a coach because okay. of the diagnosis. She didn't want to, yeah. to fit fit in that way. So when she talks about how it affects the body, because exactly what you said, it's not just something that is happening. It's an experience I'm having. It's who I am. Right. So that changed everything, that, that perspective. So going back to boundaries, I have heard about the different kinds of boundaries. And I would love to ask you about, um, just ask you about, 
how do you see them? And if, they, if this is something that you came across, player boundaries, rigid and open boundaries. Yes. So that's oftentimes how we'll, how, or how I will present boundaries. And similar to those, it's rigid, porous, and healthy. So similar words to describe the same concept. Um, and the importance of recognizing that we are going to use a different boundary depending on our environment, depending on the people in that environment and what we need. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is, is feeling like, okay, I must have a rigid boundary with this person. Well, let me just have rigid boundaries everywhere, but you don't, you know, yes. you don't have a rigid boundary with your best friend. They're the, they're the person you open up to about the weirdest, most amazing thing. <laughs> <Yes>. Um, <laughs> and if you had a rigid boundary with them, it wouldn't work very well. Right. And so, yes, those are definitely words that, that my clients and I use often. <laughs> okay. So that's good to know. And to your point, we don't really need to use the same kinds of boundaries with everyone. So it might vary, right? With our parents, right. partners, friends, co-workers. That's an amazing dance as we were talking about dance before. So it's kind of uh, this beautiful ability to adapt, to be flexible, yes. to change as needed. How interesting. Another question, to setting those rigid boundaries, what would be the signs like in what situations do you believe they are required? Do you feel actually not a belief system? I feel that rigid boundaries are really required when we are trying to communicate something that we need based on something that we value. And so, you know, I just yesterday, I met with a client who we were identifying boundaries she needed to use with her family because um, unfortunately they were just interjecting themselves into an interpersonal issue she was having. And that was going, I mean, that was going very, very much against a core value of hers. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about, yep, they're family members and that's okay. But this is one of those things that if you want to make it clear that this is one of your core values and and you not only need, but, you know, expect them to respect it. This is the only way to do it. And I, I oftentimes talk with my clients, you know, setting a boundary, even a healthy one is never comfortable. <laughs> uh, it's not. And it's, it's because we know that even if we're, we're having that you know, a healthy or rigid boundary, you know, un unintentionally, but inevitably, we are probably going to hurt the receiver, you know, because, you know, whether it's because they take it too personally, or, you know, even if it's the simple, no, I don't, you know, I really don't feel up to going out tonight. I've had a rough week. You know, if that person or the receiver was really looking forward to that, well, now they're going to feel let down. And so it is never fun setting a boundary, but it is so important, no matter what the boundary is, who we're setting it, where we're setting it. Um, and we just have to sort of, uh, as I tell my clients all of the time is, um, to get comfortable with the discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the beautiful and also needed, yeah, much needed skill. Right. To be comfortable with the uncomfortable. I love the way you said that. Yeah. There's a question that came to mind from what you just said, values. So how do we, how do we learn to identify our values and even the core values? What's the best way to do that? So as silly as it is, I mean, even just because right when we're asked, like, what are some things that you value? I think if somebody asked me that open-endedly, I'm not sure I would know how to respond because the responses are so vast. Mm. And so, you know, if, if, if you were sitting in my office, I would literally bring out a value checklist and we would go through those things. And typically, you know, we have a relatively visceral response to when we see something that we value mm. um, because we recognize that if, if we're playing out a hypothetical situation in our head and we know that if someone were to do something that was the opposite of that value, it mm. would really have an impact on us in a, in a very mm. holistic way. It would impact us mentally. We would probably mm. get 
those uncomfortable feelings in our body because it would just be such a strong response. And, you know, so for example, I know a a huge value I have is accountability, both for myself and in others. And I figured out that was a value because, um, you know, in recent years, I have had this visceral response to when people don't want to take accountability. Um, and that's actually how it clued me in is I was like, man, I guess I should really start <laughs> that this irritates me so much and not brushing it off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ah, that's an interesting one. Accountability, right? Basically being responsible, right? Yes. For oneself, one's actions. Exactly. Yes. Ah, that's a big one. You know, I heard recently, I think this is from a book that my husband was reading, that the author said, we mature when we learn to take responsibility for what we are not responsible for. Yeah. That was related to trauma. Yeah. Relating to how we feel now from the things that happened in the past that we don't even remember a lot of times. Right. That's such an amazing topic to discuss because... We are social beings. We love connecting. I mean, this mm-hmm. is at our core, right? It might be a, a universal core value for all of us humans yes. to connect. So when then when it comes to boundaries, I mean, when you said that, kind of, yeah, it caught my attention about being comfortable. That always happens in, in my case. And I asked somebody here, I think it last year, and I said, you know, it's always, I've been trying for so long to be kind and truthful with people around me, but it still feels, it doesn't feel good. And then mm. she said, of course not. You're not a psychopath. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> You're supposed to feel these things. It's okay to feel. <laughs> so it that, is. she kind of shook me, woke me up because I was kind of feeling like I was not supposed to feel that way. Right. By saying no, when I meant no. Yeah, no. And I also tell my clients all of the time is, you know, Boundaries are hard. They're forever going to be hard. You know, I like to view myself as like a professional boundary setter, but I still get uncomfortable. And depending on the kind of boundary I'm setting, my voice still shakes. And I've I've had to process with my clients that just because it feels bad doesn't mean it is bad or that it is wrong. Because like you said, it's you're feeling this way because you're not a psychopath. You actually have empathy and remorse that this is going to have an impact mm-hmm. on somebody, but that doesn't mean that the impact is is a it's is your responsibility, right? We're all in charge mm-hmm. of our own emotions, and we're our feelings are going to be hurt sometimes when boundaries are set. But you know that's kind of when we have to look outside of ourselves and recognize, okay, this isn't this isn't personal. That person is setting a boundary because that's what they need, even if I disagree with it or don't understand it. And, you know, it's okay to ask those kinds of questions um, just to gain that understanding. But, yeah, we we have to talk a lot. Yeah, it's going to feel bad, but it's not because you're doing a bad thing. (laughs) Yes. You see, that's clarity. It's important to have that perspective. Which is, it is the work of healing, isn't it, Hannah? The work, I mean, how you describe mental health, knowing, it's that dance again, knowing how, being very skillful when it comes to relationships, navigating this reality. The other day it was, I I go to the gym with my husband. He started going to the gym. I used to do that for a long time. I used to be a competitor, a personal trainer and all that. And then I was in that environment a lot. But just recently, we started going to the gym again. I was going to be with, just to be around him. And we've been doing this for a year now. And I remember two days ago, we were there and then I'm very kind to everybody, kind of smile to women, not too many men, but women. (laughs) And then, but yesterday or the day, the day before, something happened. We have like machines that we set. I do like squats and all that. And then it was set. I had done two sets and then I had, I went somewhere to do something else, jump rope and then come back for another set. And then somebody was there. A woman was there. Like um, she was unracking, kind of removing okay, the weights. Yep. And then I just didn't actually realize that she was there and doing that. And then I just came really close to the machine. And then I saw her and I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm still doing this. I'm still, I have one more to go. Can I, um, and I asked for permission even, can I just do one more before you, you unrack? Ah, oh, she looked at me with this very angry face. 
I didn't know her. I think I saw her probably twice there. And she looked at me with a, a face that read very clearly, I disagree with what you're asking me. Well, I don't want to do this. So for, for the first time, I didn't shake. My heart rate didn't go, didn't raise because that happened before when I, because I was really bad at setting boundaries or just even asking any, anybody to do anything when I knew I was not right, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So for the first time, I didn't feel like this rush. And then I just calmly asked her again, it's just for, and then I kept saying that in a kind way because I was being true to myself. I wanted to do one more, but I had to be kind because she was, she was not in a good mood. Mm. So I was trying to take care of herself and, and me at the same time. So it was an interesting situation because I was not, I'm, I'm not used to confrontation. And usually people like myself have been, have been through abuse. We usually become abusers or the opposite. We become right. extremely nice people. So, and, and kind of we back down a lot. It has been my case, you know, low self-esteem and all that. I've mm. been, I had my, oh gosh, I did a lot of work. I still do it. I still work on that. So that was really interesting to see, Hannah, kind of look at her and see her pain. She was in pain. Yeah. I don't know what was happening, but I was trying my best to be kind. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't get her, you know, even more upset. Right. And then she did it. <laughs> she put it back. And then but she, her face. And I mean, you know, I don't know if you have that feeling, but sometimes you just want to give people a hug, you know, and say, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. And it, it, that was what happened. So I. I, because I'm, I do a lot of spiritual work too, and I feel very much connected to everyone and everything that I come across. So, and I feel these things, I can tell when people mm -hmm. are not well. Sharing this for the first time, I guess, I talked to my husband about it and a few people, but I'm sharing that with you, you and everybody else who listens to this, that sometimes it is uncomfortable, as you said, but it, it has to be done because we need to learn that to not to stand up for ourselves. I don't, I don't like that, you know, the slogan about fighting for yourself and stand, right. that's not really what I, it's just being true to you and being kind to yourself and others at the same time. Yes. And that's, that's really what a boundary is, is it's being kind to yourself and, and knowing and respecting what it is that your body is telling you, your heart, your mind, and loving ourselves enough to then set that boundary. Um, so I, I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. Oh, I love that you said that too. Self-love. Yeah, that was one of the first steps <laughs> into my healing journey. Yeah. was accepting, like accepting myself, the past, what happened, and then also engaging in the self-care, self-love. Yes. Yes. That, and that's not easy for people who've been traumatized. Dealing with trauma, it's just so not easy to do. Uh, no, it isn't. Constantly in a in a fight or flight response, you're still focused on surviving. And when we're focused on surviving, we don't have time for self-care and self-love. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly it. I mean, we don't have, yes, right. Somebody talked to me about, yeah, fear and curiosity can um, occupy the same space. Also, yes. I heard something beautiful the other day that relates exactly to that trauma. Somebody described trauma as the inability to be present, to stay present, mm -hmm. to be in the moment. Yep. That has been, of course, yeah, my journey too of healing. I'll, I'll ask you this question because I know this is something that we have misconceptions about healing. How do you feel about healing? Is that something that's dynamic and ongoing, an ongoing process or do you see it more as an understanding, a deep understanding that, that can actually be established in one moment in time? Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I definitely feel everything about my being gravitating to that first explanation of it because healing is a process, right? Because if we're healed in just one moment, the way I also... Um, sort of perceive that is, okay, well, if I'm healed, then obviously that means I cannot be hurt again. There's nothing else I need to learn to manage these hurts or cope with them or, you know, or heal them. And so I think maybe gaining the initial knowledge to heal can be a, a glimpse in one moment of time. But I think the actual process is, is forever. It's, it's something that we're always going to be relearning or learning new and more effective ways to heal or really specific ways 
to heal, right? Because someone like yourself who has a history of trauma is going to have a very different healing journey than somebody who maybe is just recognizing they worry a lot about things. And, but the reality of it is, is, you know, that person who's just worrying probably isn't going to ever be able to stop worrying. And so they won't ever stop healing, but they will continue to heal as they continue to learn how to cope with worrying. Similarly to, you know, when we've had traumatic pasts is, I mean, and I, I do think those healing journeys are very different in a, in a very big way. (laughs) Um, But yes, I do think it's, it's an ongoing journey forever until, you know, I don't even know, because if you believe in an afterlife or a higher being, it's probably to some extent going to continue then. So, oh, wow, that's that's you tapping into one of my favorite topics. Another one, <laughs> healing spirituality, <laughs> both. <laughs> I don't I don't see the separation between them. Yeah, they're very connected to me. So how do you feel about spirituality? How do you define what spirituality is these days? I wow, that's a hard question to answer. I think spirituality, whether it's, you know, more of a spiritual practice and or religion based is really just having faith and belief that something that is probably not tangible is going to support our well-being. Because, you know, I have a lot of clients who identify as Christian. um, And then I have a lot of clients who are kind of like, I don't know, I'm sort of just exploring all of them um, and, and, you know, and picking and choosing. And at the end of the day, no matter what it is a client is exploring, it's not ever really tangible. I think the most tangible one is like meditation and yoga, but even then, you know, you're, you're trying to channel an energy, a, and a calmness that is not something you can put your hands on. Um, So that's how I, I see spirituality. It's just, it's this, it's a it's a non-tangible thing that you really have to have some strong faith and believe to know it's going to be supportive of whatever you need it to be supportive of. Mm. Yes, beautifully said. Yes, right. It's something that we cannot understand with the logical mind. Right. Describe. Yes. So true. I just interviewed somebody yesterday who shared um, an experience he had with a window cracking one of his uh, windows exactly at the moment, at the time, at the exact time that a friend of his died. Uh, about, oh, it was about, he was in Europe and he was here in, in the United States. And then when he tr- traced back, that window, that glass is known to never break. It never, the history of that kind of glass that he had in his house. So he was sharing that with me, how that changed his perception of reality of himself mm. of the world that became his spiritual kind of almost reference yeah <laughs> like ah there was my friend trying to connect with me right. as he was leaving the body so yeah it's very unique for all of us it doesn't it's not something that we can i mean some of us can actually have a conversation about i have lots of conversations here about these things some of us have had the same experiences. They call it mystical experiences, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, all that. Right. Those, can, those can be shared. But um, for the for most of us, I see that we are very quiet about it. <laughs> we don't talk about the way we feel about the spirituality, right. the untangible world. So let's see, Hannah, we're almost at the end. I want to actually have some other notes here. I have the ending questions for you. But before that, let me see the notes I made about, yeah, the types of boundaries. I see here that has been said that there are many kinds, uh, physical, sexual boundaries, emotional and mental boundaries, spiritual and religious boundaries. Yes. We're just talking about spirituality, financial and material boundaries, and then Mm -hmm. time boundaries. And then you have non-negotiable boundaries, social boundaries and relationship boundaries. Yes. That's a lot. I mean, I had no idea. There's so many kinds, right, to be aware of. Some of them are easy, like physical, when we think about it, right? So it sounds very straightforward. Right. But then religious, spiritual boundaries, that doesn't, yeah, it seems very abstract in a way. It it definitely is. And I think when it comes to the spiritual and religious boundaries, I think that one overlaps 
uh, a lot of times with like those social boundaries in the sense of, hey, you may not agree with what it is I believe in spiritually, but despite that, I still need you to respect that I believe it. And I think that's where we see a lot of that. Or, you know, if you decide that you want to spend time with others who also, you know, either practice and or, you know, believe in the same spiritual and or religious beliefs and, you know, maybe minimize time with others. That's also that boundary. And, you know, people can disagree with it, but that is, that is the spiritual and religious boundary you're setting. So. Yes. Yeah. Knowledge is so important. I really love the idea of learning, just being a student of life. Yes. Right. Always open to and curious about these things. Because it, it can change. It can really help us with unnecessary suffering. Right. I completely agree. It really, really does. So thank you so much for your contribution, Hannah, with yes. this podcast interview. So at the end, I want to mention also something that I found. Yeah, I think I mentioned that earlier. Somebody has asked a question. I think I asked this question before. Why do we struggle so much you know, trying to set boundaries? And then somebody said, one of the reasons, the main reasons is because we are afraid of conflict. Is that something that you agree? Something else you'd like to add? Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. But I think at an even deeper level, it is just, again, it goes back to that becoming comfortable with the discomfort of the situation. Because we we avoid doing a lot of things, you know, whether it's boundary related or not. If we start experiencing discomfort, we kind of want to bow out of it immediately and not continue, you know, whatever mission it is we had for ourselves. But of course, the reason I do agree with that is, you know, we become uncomfortable because we typically are foreseeing a conflict occurring or, you know, a lot of people also tell me, well, I'm not confrontational. And I said, well, boundaries don't have to be confrontational. You know, it's and it's once we can really. I think fine tune our communication skills. We're able to communicate and verbalize boundaries to others in in a non-confrontational way, which hopefully can minimize the possibility of conflict. But of course, we don't have control over others' emotional responses to what we say and do. But you know, we can do everything we're able to to try to to mitigate how significant or if it happens at all. (laughs) Mm, Yes, right. It goes back to something that you mentioned earlier, but one of your values, accountability. So being accountable for our own emotions and our own truth. Right. right? That's very important. With that in mind, somebody said, I think I found this online, somebody said boundaries are for your own well-being, not to control others. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a statement that caught my attention, right? Something that you're doing for you and not trying to control anyone. And if we can do that skillfully in a kind way, then it, it, it could really make a difference. Like in my case, I, you know, just happened recently, as I mentioned earlier about the situation at, at the gym. Yes. So I couldn't do much about it. I tried in every way to be skilled with kindness, actually, really trying to connect in the moment. I was not successful because the person was not, like you said, we can't control how people think we we know nothing about how people are wired right what's happening to them right so you can although i would love for her to say oh yes of course with a huge smile and kind of you know in a friendly way i would love for that to happen it's just something that i couldn't really control that outcome right so it it didn't make me feel bad um because i knew i had not done anything in a conflicted way i was not trying to hurt her mm-hmm. in any way so i know that maybe that's why i didn't feel bad about it why i didn't feel guilt even that feeling didn't come right so i think that's a very good sign you see i love practicing too <laughs> these things <laughs> that yes. was a good opportunity without yes and i you know i talk with my clients a lot too about you know it's because we don't have control over the the other person, you know, as long as we're not going into these communicative events of setting boundaries with malicious intent, vindictiveness, you know, with the goal of hurting their feelings, as Mm. long as we're not doing that, and we are really Mm. setting that boundary and communicating that boundary with the goal of, you know, loving ourselves enough to know what that limit is, that's okay. Mm, 
And I have to tell my clients a lot of times, I said, you know, I I want you to hear my voice in the back of your head when you are in these moments saying, (laughs) this stinks, but it's okay. Yes. Stinks, but it is okay. (laughs) Right. Because you're not doing anything wrong. I mean, you know. You see, it's not about right or wrong, but it's um, you're being accounted, accountable using your word, you know, your value right. for yourself. You, you, you actually live in that. That was my case. Um, anyway, I was really into that. And I thought she would smile on that woman because I was really, even with my tone of voice, I was really kind of using the right words. You know, I apologize. And can I do this? I mean, just so you, I mean, I was trying... Not to make her upset, but right. I guess she was already upset. So you can't really change that. Exactly. But, uh, and then I still felt, you know, from my spiritual perspective, I have to say, you know, that, like I said to you, like, oh, you know, I wish I could. Have. Right. It's, we, we can't really. Unfortunately, we can't. Sometimes we, I use my presence even only. The tone of voice, my presence. But mm-hmm. it's amazing to see how it seems like some of us have become very disconnected. Yeah, being. there's something that's happening, right, Hannah? I don't know. It's sad to witness. It it is. It's it is hard to watch. And the one, it's not the only or by any means the best fix. But I try to do something on purpose every single day that brings me joy yeah. to to m- make sure that I don't become disconnected. Because it, it's easy to do when we're living in the climate that we're in. And so I also encourage it for my clients. It's like, guys, let's, it, it might be hard sometimes, but we gotta, we have to stay connected. So find that thing and, and do it on purpose, right? Drinking coffee every day does make me happy, but I'm not doing it on purpose. It's a habit. And so doing that one thing on purpose is a fantastic thing. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's very insightful, right? With meaning, purpose. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I love that. I never thought of that way. I'm, I guess I think about purpose as a doing something big, like a plan, something right. career, but not a moment to moment living in purpose with intention. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's being present. Though. That's really wonderful if we can do that, if we can practice that at least, right? Yes. Beautiful suggestion. So we're almost at the end. I loved our time together, I have to say. Thank you so much for being you, for being open, and for doing what you do. Thank you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad there are people out there who allow me to be able to do this. And I really appreciate you reaching out and letting me be a part of this fantastic journey of yours. So uh, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I love the way you put that. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, what's not to love about that? I want to mention the services that you offer. So individual therapy, both in person and virtually. So I, I saw that on your website. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to add, would like to ma- mention anything that you left unsaid before we say goodbye? I do have one more question for you. No, I mean, the only thing it's, it's, it feels silly and weird, um, but I, <laughs> I love boundaries so much and it's such a weird, <laughs> like a weird love to have. You know, if any, if any of your listeners are ever interested, I'm actually in the process of trying to get a book published, oh, a, a, a children's wonderful. picture book about yeah. boundaries so that, you know, because if, if we can start learning a lot of these things at a younger age, it's going to be easier to put them into practice as we get older. So um, that's just a little plug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. A billion times to starting earlier anything we can do to help. I know you have a child, so helping your own child. I I do think about, you know, whatever we have, whatever we want to do, whatever, let's say, ideas, vision we have for humanity, it's so crucial that we start with our own, in our own lives, Mm -hmm. like in our own house, with our own selves. Yes. Because that's where how we're going to make this world a better place. I really, I really believe that by making ourselves better. I agree completely. Yeah, and children, right? Oh my God, what a beautiful invitation! Please let me know um, when you have that book out. Okay, I will. I would love to know. We have it here, of course, and share with my with my community too. Yes. So before we say goodbye for today, I do have this question that I usually ask everyone: uh, What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they die? Ooh, three experiences for everyone to have before they die. 
I, I think the first experience, um, is really feeling that I don't even know how to explain it, that blissful, unconditional joy. Um, hopefully it's not just one moment. Um, it's, it's such a basic emotion, you know, happiness, but it's something that, you know, if we think about it, a lot of us don't experience it to the extent it can be experienced. And when we do, holy moly, it is a game changer. Yes. <laughs> the second experience, and this is a sillier one, but I hope everyone gets to experience as long as they are animal lovers and it's okay if they are not. Um, but being able to sit in the middle of a bunch of puppies. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Amazing. was, I haven't done this recently, but it was something that I did while I was in grad school and I'm a weirdo. I love the smell of puppy breath. And so, you know, you're getting kissed by, you know, eight to 10 puppies. And it's, again, goes back to that. You're just in such a happy moment. Mm-hmm. And then the third experience mm-hmm. I hope others have might be a little bit harder, but to, to put themselves in a position to understand a, a different culture completely. It is such an incredible learning experience. You know, I love traveling. I haven't been able to do it, you know, since having a tiny human, but being able to learn about other cultures while being emerged into them, it, it is it is such a different thing than just reading about it. Um, and it's something too that I've been able to pull in some of my, I don't know what word to use, just some of the, the little nuggets of information I'll share with my clients is are, are things that are meaningful to, to other cultures that maybe the American culture just, you know, either doesn't emphasize or is missed. And, and it's, it's like you, I love learning. So that's why I think that's a fantastic experience to have, but it's just also eye opening. We're such a diverse world. And I think it's really important that we all experience what it means, like what diversity actually means. Mm-hmm. I love your wisdom. You're a lot of fun, though, in a in a very <laughs> meaningful way. You're deep uh, and you're fun and you're open to these kind of kinds of conversations. Um, how wonderful, Hannah! Um, I love your presence in our reality, in our world. It's really one that's very much needed. And what a beautiful invitation about getting to know other cultures in a sense of being open to what is to be a human, right? What is right. what is to live in the planet Earth? It's not all, uh, it's not exactly what some of us think it is. Right. And by by getting to know, um, becoming curious and knowing, as you said, different cultures, we we get to know ourselves. It's something, yes. something about that. And then we close that gap, that separation that, that we feel. Uh, right. Others and the discrimination that, Mm-hmm. That the judgment, right? That would the violence, the hatred. Yes, that and we minimize be. that fragmentation. <laughs> yes, yes. You see, that's um, yeah, that's the universal mind, right? That's merging back to it. I really believe that that's where we come from. That's our essence, really. It's universal. Right. It's not personal. Yes. So it's it's returning to it. Thank you so much again for your presence, and um. Before we say goodbye for today, where is the best place to find more information about you? Uh, probably my website, which is that www.sapphiretidewater.com. Um, and that will take you to, to all, I mean, it's not a ton of stuff, but it will, it will take you to other things, you know, whether it's just to get to know me, get to know the practice that I have. Um, I don't have a I don't have a huge presence, but that's where you could find it. <laughs> yes, that's a beautiful start. So, and I love the name of yeah of your website, Sapphire Sapphire Tidewater. Hmm. Yeah, it caught my attention immediately when I saw the name. There was meaning to it. <laughs> yes, a lot of meaning there. So, thank you again. I'll have the website and the podcast profile. Bye for oh. now. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Hannah Hayden and her work, please visit sapphiretidewater.com. Ooh.
want more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.